How about now? Oh, yeah. Leave it. Whoa. Don't touch it. I turned a blue knob. And there is, when knobs? I talk, there's there's a little red light that lights up. Is that good or bad? It's good, dude. Yeah, man. <laughs> red blinking lights always indicate something good. There's and- some other knobs I can turn if you'd like me to. <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. By the way, my mic still smells like cigars, which is amazing. Mine doesn't. That's awesome. Can you tell I'm smelling my mic? Well, you weren't smoking a cigar, though. That's true. Mm-hmm. That is true. Basically, the whole house was smoking the cigar, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I mean, the next day, it didn't smell like cigars in my room at all. Hmm. So We should smoke inside more often. I found that cigars and pipes really don't leave much of a residue. C- yeah. Cigarettes certainly do. Yeah. But that night, I threw the ashes out and... I mean, I didn't rinse out the spittoon. I just put it back where it was hmm. uh, with a little bit of ash regis- regis- residue, and it smells fine in here. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm actually pretty surprised by that. Um, we should smoke indoors more often. People used to take it for granted that you did that. Oh, yeah. I don't know. My dream is to go to find like a nice steakhouse or something like that that you can still smoke at after and just eat a amazing steak dinner and then light up a, a stove like right at the table wouldn't that be great mm. well the thing is you can't like everywhere in the u.s you can't smoke where you eat anymore so it I has know. to be at your own house you, you just have to yep. do it in your dining room but i do i wonder if you, we could find somewhere like you could still and I don't know. I guess that's probably state by state, but yeah, in Illinois, like anywhere that serves food, you can't you can't smoke at all. I'd be think. surprised that even country clubs let you smoke in their restaurants yeah. anymore. Yeah, for which sure. is, I mean, that would be the last vestige of that culture. Yeah, let men's clubs like that. Yeah, it's insanity. I feel <laughs> oppressed. Oh, yeah, man, this is ridiculous. Look, just take a trip to Bosnia and you can lit- you can smoke wherever <laughs> the f you want. <laughs> Straight up. That place reeks of freedom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's there, great. There are multiple times when either before, during, or after, slash all of the above, I was smoking during a meal <laughs> inside of people's homes with children in the house. Yeah, just yeah. nobody gives an F over there, dude. It's so funny how, I mean, it, it makes sense scientifically and medically why smoking has become such a, uh, like, pariah activity. You're just like, you can't even be within 15 feet of the entrance of this building if you're doing this disgusting thing. That it used to be like, you know, mothers, fathers, everybody, my, my grandparents... My dad's parents, uh, neither of them smoked, but they always had cigarettes in the house in case somebody came over that did smoke. Oh, yeah. It was just, you know, that was just a courtesy for people because smoking was such a common thing. And and now it's just this very hidden 
thing. And it, it, it seems to me like I, I don't want to get into this whole thing, but how, however that happened, that smoking went from totally accepted to completely unacceptable, um, sort of despised behavior. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? Because there's other things that really ought to, you know, like pornography or strip clubs or, I mean, those things are pretty much like behind closed doors for the most part, but they, they bleed out, you know, and it's like any HBO show has a sex scene in it because that's just the culture, you know, how do we make that yeah. like objectifying women yeah. as unacceptable as smoking a cigarette on a plane, you know? That's it, man. That's a good question. It's a very good question. Yeah, we can't smoke on planes anymore. What the heck? Well, I think a lot of people, uh, I mean, a lot of hurt people who they had people die in their lives, you know, and I also think the idea of like a unified bad thing to fight for, we need that in a lot of ways. And so I think smoking became that giant target. But at the end of the day, it was a bunch of people who had, you know, lost a dad, a mom or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. That's a lot of a lot of pain to fight the to breathe the fire, you know. And FYI, Bisque, uh, th- this current, actually what's out right now, the current Time magazine is about porn, FYI. Really? And Did you pick it the, up? Yeah, I got, well, I got it on my iPad, and I haven't oh, read nice. the, the cover yet, or the, like, the cover story yet, but what I have kind of breezed through, it's, it's kind of like this whole idea of, especially men, uh, especially millennial men that have been, you know, on porn since they were like 12 years old and just how negative effect it's had on their life and their virility and all this other stuff. And so um, it's very interesting because it's not a it's not a moral perspective at all. And like even a couple of times, like they they advocate for porn almost except for just how much it screwed them up. Hmm. Um so I could definitely see it at snowballing and that being like the next whatever smoking, um, et cetera. It should be, frankly, but I, I hope it is. Um, yeah. The first thing that gives me pause about it is there's so much money there. But then yeah. also, but you look at the tobacco industry, there oh, was a sure. crap ton of money there. You know? Oh, yeah. And it's the whole so, big tobacco thing, all that, that truth in advertising campaign. Yeah. Um, which they still, I mean, I remember when I was a teenager, there were ads all the time with like crash test dummies, like with all over New York or something like these big campaigns that they were yeah. demonstrating how many people die from cigarettes. And I just saw one the other day about cigarettes. But um, yeah, have you guys ever run across Fight the New Drug? It's a... I've, uh, I've or- heard of that. It's an organization against porn. It's secular, so it's not religiously motivated. It's just, you know saying that it kills uh, love and authentic relationship and stuff that breaks up marriages and ruins people's sex lives. And mm-hmm. um, I bought a shirt that says porn kills love. I've not had the stones to wear it uh, out much, <laughs> but um, I think that that's a, that's a pretty universal message. You know, everybody likes love. And if you can yeah. prove like cigarettes kill people, people were like, oh, the science is up in the air on whether... It actually causes lung cancer. A lot of people thought it opened. My brother has a, he was really into cycling. He has a photo. It's kind of a classic photo of the Tour de France with one of the cycling teams right before a big climb. 
uh, sharing a cigarette because they thought cigarettes would like open the lungs and make you able to breathe better. Um, Dude, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's, you know, black and white. It's probably, I don't know if it's in the thirties or forties or something like that, but it's an awesome photo. Um, but you know, people, people debated whether or not, uh, like, oh, we'll put a filter on the cigarette and that'll get out all the bad stuff that's making people cough. And now we just know there's no, it's putting lipstick on a pig. There's no way to inhale tobacco smoke in a healthy way, Mm. you know? And that's, I guess what maybe organizations like fighting the new drug are trying to say. It's like, there's no healthy way. Like, oh, well just watch it with my partner or my wife or whatever. It's like, no, there's no filter that doesn't make this trash ruin your soul and your heart. Um, so I don't know. It's a, that's a pretty good analogy. Um, I, w- I was reading something. It was like, we need to learn from the seatbelt and the smoking movements how to make abortion uh, kind of culturally unacceptable so that, you know, we see pregnancy as a gift again and not as a burden or a disease. Because back in the day, I mean, seatbelts, cars didn't have to have seatbelts. And now it's illegal not to wear your seatbelt. How did that cultural shift change? Because, I mean, everybody says, well, you don't legislate morality. What the heck, you know? If I get pulled over and I don't have my seatbelt on, I get fined. That's not my choice. But then they'll argue, well, uh, it costs more money if people don't wear their seatbelts because people get more severely injured in car accidents and then if you can't pay your medical bills then the government has to subsidize it and insurance companies and it it's you know a strong economic interest of the of the government that you wear your belt sure. um so you can rationalize yeah you always have to kind of rationalize it in these in these very imminent terms but in talking about human life i mean ultimately the seatbelt issue is a human life issue you know what's the value of life even if you don't think that wearing a motorcycle helmet or a, if you have that much disregard for your own life, that you wouldn't wear a helmet or wear a seatbelt, the government can still step in and say, no, wrong, you have to wear a helmet, you have to wear a seatbelt. So, it, I mean, it's all this fuzzy line of like where, where we as a society can step into other people's lives and say, this is, this is too important not to force you to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, which is, uh, it's tricky, especially in a country like this where we want to reek of freedom, like Ukraine or wherever. Ukraine. Ukraine. <laughs> That's not a country. That could be the invented country of, of freedom, but it would just be a simulacra of Bosnia. <laughs> because Bosnia is the land of freedom. Also the land of unemployment, but that's okay. People cigarettes are, are cheap, so it's fine. Absolutely. And so are drinks at 7 a.m. Dude, you just go out into the plaza. Like, if you're in a big city, you just go out into the plaza. Seriously, 7 a.m. And there's just tons of old veterans who, like, fought in their Civil War when it used to be ruled by Tito, who was their communist ruler. And um, it was the former Yugoslavia, and they had all of these inner, inner fighting. So there's just a, a ton of older guys who, <laughs> they hate communism. They love smoking and they love drinking and they're down with those any time of day, man. <laughs> hey, you want to yell about communism? Drink some alcohol and smoke some cigarettes? Yeah. I'm down. There's cafes Welcome to out Three there. Dogs North. <laughs> That's right. I'm telling you, man, Bosnia, that could be our place. We, Well, 
Dude, if we ever do that country tour like you were talking about where we go out and invite people to join us, mm-hmm. we, we should go to Bosnia. <laughs> we talked about a country tour? Well, going and visiting beautiful places. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Imitation of uh, Catholic stuff you should know. Yeah. Oh, man, when you put it that way, it sounds like the worst idea. <laughs> we just Did you see our latest review on iTunes that said you, sh- you guys should be nicer to Catholic stuff you should know? No. Because this Because that's how I heard about you guys. <laughs> so maybe we should clarify that we do not actually dislike that podcast in fact they well, are hey, what? yeah i'm sorry go ahead no no you go oh no we esteem them highly uh and it, actually the the idea to do three dogs north began in germ form with scott harder when we were in the holy land and we were listening to a lot of catholic stuff you should know and me and him were talking about maybe we could start a podcast and I tried to convince him for a while, but he didn't want to do it. And then that was later on that uh, the three of us were sitting around that night in the cam room when I suggested it. But they were the uh, first instigators, in at least my mind, of doing it. So, it's Well, not... why don't we pray? Because I feel like we're, we got good, like, at least conversation is going. So we, sure. we may as well just get into it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Why is there something rather than nothing? I, I was thinking of a story. Eh, it's kind of started to germinate as uh, even you were talking about some of the beginning stuff with uh, your experience in the Apple store, which it is very Ikea-ish, I will say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just so modern. It's like, I mean, they set the trend for what's cool and what's not cool, you know? And since I own tons of Apple products because I'm incredibly trendy and cool, <laughs> uh, none of them are older than 2010, I think. I have like a 2007 Mac and a super old iPad. But uh, the young priest that I'm here at the at the parish with, he was in a retreat down in Houston. And um, he was telling me, <laughs> this is classic CL style. So they would do like, uh, the whole week was in silence, and in the mornings they would be in prayer, and then in the afternoons after a conference they would kind of get together and talk, and then randomly in the middle of the retreat they went and visited <laughs> the Houston Museum <laughs> while they were on retreat to experience that and then to talk about it and share about it. This is on their like is the Houston retreat. Museum, like the NASA thing or something. No, it's just a museum that's in Houston. I don't oh. know what the official name is, but just cracks me up that in the middle of the retreat they go and visit some artsy place like that oh yeah that's and, totally that's their ethos right is like to savor experience and things like that movements of the heart and no matter yeah, what I, well i would say their ethos if you could just get it in a nutshell is how is the incarnation applicable present today and so in order for them to do that it, they look at culture as such which and then they try to integrate or at least pull like the seeds of the gospel. How is how is the Lord present and working in the culture? And how can we present the Lord to people who live today? Like he's a living reality. How can we present him as such so that people encounter Jesus today? He's not just a historical event, which I thought was kind of cool. Well, I mean, it's very cool. I love the idea of it. Um, but like you go to a museum and we were talking about it and you know, it's super easy to bash on modern artists. And this was a super modern museum. And he said it was just kind of 
like really vulgar and actually really depressing in a lot of ways. And a lot of the stuff was very abstract and impressionism or realist. And you had to read interpretations into it. And, you know, it, it is super easy to bash on that stuff, especially from like a, a Catholic, um, I mean, yeah, a Catholic idea of objective beauty that our appreciation of art and really the exposure that we've been able to have to it in seminary, I mean, we see a lot of uh, like very beautiful things. Can so, I interject a quick story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick story about the Art Institute in Chicago. <clears throat> Some seminarians were there a few years ago and they'd had, I think they put up the new modern art wing or something like that. I, I still haven't been in it. I went in there a few months ago, but I didn't meander back there but i guess some seminarians wanted to go see it and there was one room you know how they do art institute it's like here's a room here's a room they're all kind of connected and you just keep walking in different pieces of art different paintings well they get to one and there's just like some stuff on the floor in there with like a rope around it um and it didn't look like much and there was uh you know one of the security or museum staff just kind of standing in this room and the people that work at the museum often not, I don't think, the biggest art lovers. They're just kind of people with a job, you know. It's a good job. So one of the seminarians goes up to this lady and says, uh, is this room, like, under construction or is this not put together yet or finished? And she just points at the pile of stuff on the floor with a rope around it and goes, oh, uh, no, that that's the art. It's <laughs> not so like, that is... That's very indicative of how really artful that art is that you have to point at and be like, that's the art. <laughs> that's that's not trash. No, that's, that's not the garbage. That's not pieces of the art waiting to be put together. That is the art. <laughs> yeah. So the like we were talking about it and it is. Yeah, it's very easy to bash on that stuff, um, which I just did. Yeah, absolutely. And that's pretty much what I'm going to go and do. <laughs> <laughs> um but it's, I think it's a good question, at least. Um, is the artist creating the culture or is he um, explaining the culture? Like his experience of what he's seen and what he's felt within, you know, living in America in the 21st century. Um, hmm. Is this just, this his experience, is this just his experience of it? Is he the proclaimer of the gospel of our culture, you know, or is he the creator of it? That's so that a was, very good distinction. That was one thing, but this is the story that he told. Um, uh, so there's Can you say one that distinction one more time. Yeah, is the artist the creator of the culture, or is he the proclaimer of the culture? As is such? he just a mirror of what's going on around him, or like a critiquer? Like, uh, like I, I took a picture of all these old phones. They took out all the phones or something at, at the seminary because everybody's got cell phones now. And, yep. and yep. they were just in a pile in the hallway and I took a picture of it and I tweeted it and I said, this art is about society because it looks like the kind of art you said, like the throwaway culture, you know, you're critiquing whatever technological advancement and all the trash that it, whatever. Like it takes no work to do that because it's just a pile of garbage, but you take an artful picture and you're like, man, that's so edgy. Um, I mean, that wasn't an actual attempt at art, but that's my impression of what modern art is, is just a mirror to society rather than like what you're saying or what I think I hear you saying, which is art taps into a beauty above culture, which calls culture to a higher plane, right? 
Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the question is what is the person saying? What is the intention behind it? Um, and so I think probably both could be, both could be true. Both could be saying something. I remember there was one, one artist, um, I can't remember his name, but to make a, a mockery of art as such and to make a mockery of, yeah, exactly what you just, just described to like call culture to a higher thing, to really inject this transcendent quality to it. He just signed a toilet with his name and displayed it. Yeah. And that was what what he said was art. And, you know, just this idea to break down all distinctions, to break down all exclusive distinctions so that it kind of encapsulates everything. Um, but this is so this is the story that this guy told me. And it's I, it's such an ironic, tremendous story. It's such a CL story. But there's a chapel that's there in in the museum and I wish I could remember the guy's name but the essence of the chapel is you go in and it's completely black the whole chapel is entirely black and this is supposed to be this kind of yeah modern interpretation of a meditative place a meditative space that you can kind of encounter the transcendent if that's what you're into so you go in and the whole chapel is black and there's a couple of different benches that have the sacred texts of these different religions. And then there are like three um, three hanging canvases that are just painted black. <laughs> They're just <laughs> painted black as well. And there's no light. There's no anything in there except for, yeah, just these benches and the sacred texts for, from, the, from the different religions. And he said that while he was in there... <laughs> While he was in there, there was um, like a couple of people that were sitting on the benches and they had their eyes closed and they were, you know, I guess contemplating, they're in prayer, trying to have, you know, experience of the transcendent. And there was a couple of priests who were part of the retreat as well. And they were just in lay clothes um, and they were sitting directly behind these three girls, you know, these three, he said they were, they were pretty, you know, kind of young girls and they were really getting into it. And these these priests that were behind them were just talking and they were kind of making these little jokes or whatever. <laughs> and they were laughing at one another and enjoying each other's company. And he said, one of the three girls turns around and starts shushing these priests. <laughs> like, shh, we're trying to pray in here. And he said, just watching the scene of how just the entire, the complete irony of it of these three girls in this totally black chapel with no light, um, turning around to shush these two priests who were in, uh, you know, just regular, regular clothes. They had no clue that they were priests, um, that were also in this chapel with them kind of just enjoying each other's company, but to watch the scene and, and see the complete irony of it. Um, I mean, I, he thought it was absolutely hilarious and I, I quite, it's kind of funny cause well. it's like a, a total role reversal. You think they're the ones acting like annoying teenagers and ruining oh. a moment. <laughs> I, I've I've been that guy in my in my church here. I turn around to some kids and I'm like, "Hey, guys, you got to be quiet in here." You know? Don't you recognize and, that this is a sacred place? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That uh, yeah, the role reversal I think is is definitely super funny. But the idea that like what they were trying to portray there, what the artist was trying to portray was that any sort of exclusion or any sort of distinction would be an exclusion of something 
of some religion, of some person, of some creed, of some group of persons. And so in the attempt to include everything, all they could come up with was like an it was an emptiness was really what it was mm-hmm. that you have a, a black room that not even light is in there because light would reveal something. And so in the desire to include everything, there was an inability to show anything. There was an inability to make any sort of a, a claim on an objective reality. Um, and I think that that was, that was definitely his experience in the art museum there in Houston. And, um, you know, it was actually my experience in the Chicago Art Institute as well. Um, I remember, I, I think I told you about it, Rob, going through the different, because it's chronologically set up. So we went through like Roman statues, Greek art, and then it gets into Byzantium and goes into Western civilization and Christendom. And I'm telling you, you go into these places where there's beautiful Christian art there. Mm-hmm. And there's not, I mean, there's not any rules saying like don't talk or respect other people, but nobody was talking. There's yeah. al- almost enti- utter silence. And it was seriously a prayerful atmosphere. And when people did talk, it was in whispers. People were whispering because they recognized the presence of the sacred beauty. And I, I remember coming into one room, I would say it's the centerpiece of the whole institute. But it's a Zerberon, which I know we have the Zerberon in our main chapel as well. Mm-hmm. But you turn and it's probably a 15, 10 to 15 foot painting. It's huge, huge. And the backdrop is black, just total blackness. And it's Christ crucified. Mm-hmm. And there was just people sitting. They were just sitting there staring at this painting, staring at the resurrection, the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember one picture of Judith. And she's this this really strong, muscular figure, this biblical figure, John the Baptist, all over the place. And it was total reverence. There's Not, a great one of Peter. Uh, there's a big one of Peter. It's black in the background. And he's after his denial. Oh, yeah, by the one? fire. He's, he looks like took, an old man. Yeah, I took pictures of it. But mm-hmm. so then if you continue with it, if you continue through the chronology, the history of, of art, then we went and saw like some Monet's that were also very beautiful, but it's a little bit more chatty and you have students in there kind of studying it, whatever. And then you bust into the modern art. You actually have to go through this really modern coffee shop as well, which is kind of perfect to like <laughs> make the transition. <laughs> and you go in and people are laughing, taking ridiculous pictures, like almost a mockery of the art itself. And I remember talking with one of the art attendants and I'm like, what? Tell me, what is this thing right here? And she's, you know, I have no clue. And we're kind of talking to another group. The painting was called Heaven, and it was seriously just, you know, like blue splots on a canvas. And and it was just super interesting to see just the difference. With no one had, there was no agreement made between people. Like, hey, we're gonna not talk in here, and then in here we're gonna. Yeah, there's uh, no signs up that says or, please, that, please yeah. be quiet. Oh no, but. Uh, Wow, just to see the clear transition, the clear difference between the way that people acted when they were in the presence of this beauty, I mean, just blew me away. This was a prayerful atmosphere. And then to go into the contemporary and modern art, and people are on their cell phones just talking, blah, blah, blah. Like, what, why would I act any different than anywhere else in this place looking at this Picasso or this whatever 
Dali now, to would... be fair, there are less people in the more medieval or Renaissance art portions. They're usually, the I feel like in the modern art part, <clears throat> there would be more people like that are shuffling through that coffee shop and going to the new wing and stuff like that. So, but I, I do agree that there's just a there's a chattier atmosphere because it's chattier art you know um it's supposed to like it it almost feels like the point of it is to provoke conversation not to provoke contemplation Hmm. um like signing a toilet isn't supposed to make you like look at the toilet and the signature and just like get lost in it and have it change you it's supposed to make you talk like wait is this art wait oh let's have a conversation about art and that's that's what it all is and and i think on the on the low end of the spectrum it's just like the whole elitism of art where it's like do you get it or did you have you seen such and such a piece of art and blah 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 rather than i don't know like going to see stuff because you like it you're going to see it because it's edgy or part of the cultural conversation or the you know the high culture conversation in terms of art and music and stuff like that. I was really into jazz when I was uh, in high school, played the saxophone and I was, <clears throat> I was, I'd go down to the jazz showcase in Chicago and various places. And I had certain people that I liked to go see and a friend of mine and his dad, we would go together a lot. And uh, jazz is the kind of thing where like, you know, in the sixties, that to me was kind of the apex of, of like a lot of like Coltrane and Miles Davis and, um, I don't know, I like guys like Joe Henderson and, uh, other saxophone players, but then like late sixties, early seventies and on until today, just got more and more avant-garde, even guys like Coltrane, uh, who, you know, you'll hear at Starbucks in like playing blue train, which is one of his classic records, but then on into a record called love Supreme, which is just like these 20 minute tracks of squeaky, whatever. And it still sounds more or less melodic but it's very, very out there. And you know he's a great, great instrumentalist because of the stuff he did before. But now it's just more and more abstract because he's like deconstructing the form. And then, but if you flash forward that whole ethos of like, I know this, it's like a poet that leaves the meter because he knows he can do such great things within the meter, within the rules, that now he's free of them. You know, but then it, it, garners a bunch of imitators who are like, oh, the cool thing is to not use form and to be really abstract and and to disregard rules. So they skip like disciplining themselves and actually learning an art form and they just go to signing toilets and making squeaky sounds with their instruments. And like, yeah, I'm making jazz or I'm making art or I'm making poetry. When in reality, it's like, if you wanted to, could you even draw a person? Because all I see is blue splots on a canvas and you haven't proven to me that you actually know how to do art um and so that uh, that to me is like the big i don't know tragedy of of that whole ethos of like even architecture you know making buildings that don't like conform to standards like this is what a column is supposed to look like this is what a facade is supposed to look like and and you know within the rules and strictures of a of an art form you can do creative things, but if you're just like, well, let's just make it look however we want. And then you just have a bunch of buildings that don't look good together. And then a bunch of functional buildings that are just big boxes in suburban wastelands. Cause 
nothing's supposed to look like anything anymore. Um, so I, I don't know. It's like the was it von Balthasar is all about beauty and and evangelizing through beauty uh, because it's the it's like the reflection of goodness and truth in visible form. Um, like we've just gotten we've just gotten away from beauty for a lot of different reasons. I think consumerism, materialism, but we also just really don't like rules. You know, I don't want to have to govern my life by rules that are extrinsic to me. So why would art? Why do I have to respect rules of art? Um, but then you see the modern art wing and you're like, is that the art or is that some stuff you haven't cleaned up yet? You know, it, it makes it much less inspiring. And like your distinction from before, of where, is art supposed to just reflect the values of a culture? Or is it supposed to uh, tap into something that only an artist, only a gifted genius like a Mozart um, or a Da Vinci or Michelangelo is gifted with the ability to tap into. And then we see that they're not just reflecting us, but reflecting something higher than us, which we then see and then are called into a deeper contemplation of the form of good and beauty and truth, and then conform our life to that. You know, it's like, it's the whole turn to the subject. Every, I'm just the ultimate arbiter of everything. And, uh, I don't know. It makes makes for a really flat, boring conversation. I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling, but does that does that make any sense? Are you guys even still there? <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I don't know. I'm trying to take in the the conversation, and I, to me, the like the most interesting observation in all of that is just what you were saying, Mike. Is that when you were in certain aspects of that art museum that there was silence in some and not in others. And one of the quotes I keep, I know we're not big like reading quotes on this podcast, but I keep this on my desk and I was just reading it like as Connor was rambling. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't, it was good. <laughs> uh, but this is from Joseph Pieper. And he calls it the silence of St. Thomas. And he says, the last word of St. Thomas is not communication, but silence. And it's not death, which takes a pen out of his hand. His tongue is stilled by the superabundance of life and the mystery of God. He is silent, not because he has anything further to say. He is silent because he has been allowed to glimpse into the inexpressible depths of that mystery, which is not reached by any human thought or speech. Um, and I guess to me, it's just that reality i think it was something you said maybe on the last podcast when we were to, together i think it made the podcast uh connor was that you know you're never less alone than when you're in your room by yourself because you're in you're with the one who is relationship and uh it's funny yesterday i got i got sucked into a youtube vortex again <laughs> oh dang dude yeah man and, uh, <laughs> that gets me stoked i yeah yeah i don't even know <laughs> i honestly don't know how it happened it was like all of a sudden i don't even remember what took me to youtube but it was like all of a sudden yes. i was just i had been sitting there watching all these videos on YouTube. <laughs> yes. um so Anyway, but what uh, what the videos I were watching, you can go to YouTube and it's fascinating. And it, it's just like put in YouTube 
deaf deaf people hear sound for the first time. Oh, I've seen some of those. And it is moving, man, like absolutely moving. And I, across the board, and obviously these are videos they've put like a compilation on there of this. But they, you can tell that their like reaction is one of shock when they hear the sound, when they turn on like whatever, you know, is in their ear or whatnot. And it's one of shock. And then immediately they start, they just lose it. They start bawling, crying. And it was just a cool reflection of, yeah, I mean, just the beauty that's offered even through sound, like the art that is is there. Um, but I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, too. But there's just kind of that, I don't know, it's just a kind of like an ebb and flow, you know, a weak way to say it is like a, a both and or something of like how important senses are and what a gift senses are. Um, and, and also then like what moves us to silence and just that, like as Catholics, when we're talking about, you know, time and silence and the power that that has to enter into a contemplation, that's not an escape from the world and even good art. Like it's not an escape from the world and it's not a, um, it's not even a portrayal of the world. Like it's a portrayal of the, of, of the transcendent. So I don't know if that makes sense. I guess that's my contribution to this little conversation. It totally, uh, the silence in a way helps you to experience the senses even more so. Um, at least that's, that's entirely been my experience in seminary. Like being able to be together while you're alone with our Lord yeah. You bring that you bring that with you into everyday life and it helps to order and helps to live yeah live properly treat things as as they are and in so doing using them correctly which uh, yeah Father Connor I think that's what you're talking about is like the deconstruction of the form we look at things as different than they are which is a, an escape from reality in a lot of ways um because you're saying like well, I don't, I don't want this thing to be that, to, to be what it is. So I'm going to make it entirely different. Uh, this is going to be a deconstruction of what the thing in and is in and of itself. And I, yeah, my experience time and time again is the silence that we have with our Lord, you bring, you bring that with you and then it helps you to see and experience reality correctly and to see things for what they are um, instead of, trying to make things different than what they are because I don't want them to be that way or I don't want objective truth um, imposed upon me or, what you know, whatever the reason is behind it. Um, yeah, it makes for better living, honestly. It makes for better living. It does, and it is amazing to see just what can be done, um, you know, in the the bending and like really engaging the human intellect and will when you have a proper anthropology and like how important that is even. Um, I remember Mike, was I telling you that day that I had lunch with Dr. Huther and he was telling me about like how to read Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. Yeah. 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 That was awesome. Yeah. And it was, I, uh, I just kind of randomly had lunch with him one day and he was asking me what I was reading and I was telling him and I was, I told him, you know, something of interest to me that I would like to pick up, maybe over an internship or in the next couple of years or whatever. 
would be some of the Russian authors, specifically Dostoevsky or Tolstoy. And he was really like he had obviously read a lot of both of them. And so he just kind of went on to this really cool. I don't It wasn't so much a reflection, but it was just like trying to help me understand how to read them and how good of authors they are. And he said, when you read them, you have to read them. And I think he compared Tolstoy to like a Rembrandt painting. And he said, it's beautiful. Like it's this almost, you know, uh, borderline like beatific scene. But then if you get into and you see like the characters and the faces and you can see the angst and the compassion or whatever in their faces. But he said Dostoevsky is much more so. I think he compared him to like a Van Gogh who he said from from a distance looks completely contorted. And it's like this bending of human realities to to try to show and convey just the absolute angst that can be in human beings and what the world, like, it can look like twisted and deformed. But then if you get into and you look at the specific features of the face, like, you see the beauty there in the proper proportions. Um, and so I don't know. I was, it was just fascinating that he would, that's how he tried to help me read and understand Tolstoy and Dostoevsky was using Rembrandt and Van Gogh. And I guess it just, just that whole notion you've been talking about. It's yeah, maybe someone does come along and they can step outside of, you know, the the form, the set of rules. And and like, I guess the way to say it would be participate in like a new creation of gods to show a different new reality mm -hmm. of god um but those you know it's i don't know and i'm gonna stop no the, this line sorry father connor i'm just gonna inject this in and then i'm gonna let you go but um this line that i i heard over internship that's i it's just coming to mind right now to explain what you're talking about is um I, and i can't remember who said it but art helps us to understand what philosophy can't teach us and I, I'm, I may be getting that not exactly right, but which I think even gets to your senses and silence thing is that like the actual experience of this music, of this piece of art, of this work of literature helps me to incorporate, like become a part of my body, it become a part of who I am in a way that just a philosophy alone can't necessarily teach me. Um, so that the art helps me to believe things that philosophy can't explain. Um, sorry, so go on, Father. Oh, well, that, that makes me think of something. I don't know if I believe this, but I, I had read a quote a long, long time ago, maybe in college, that was like science, which you could say science or philosophy, takes really complicated things and puts them into really simple terms so we can understand them. Whereas art and poetry takes really simple things and puts them in super complicated terms so that we can kind of see, um, you know, what they reflect or, or see the truth in like, you know, a snowy field or a landscape or <clears throat> a human face and just like describes it in such complicated and metaphorical language that it almost obscures, it, it obscures what you're looking at so that you may see it, you know, for what it actually is. Um, I don't know if I described that well, but. To me, yeah, art art is so difficult to pin down, uh, specifically because there's these rules. You know, it's like 
we would never think that a football player, like a quarterback, is so good because he has so transcended the form that he makes a forward pass in front of the line of scrimmage. You know, like, oh, my gosh, look at how <laughs> good he is. He's He doesn't even, like, conform to those stupid football rules. You're like, no, you're you're breaking the rules and therefore are bad. Um <laughs> But with art, we we can do that, and in some ways, it's true. Like you can you can see an artist like a Dostoevsky, what you're talking about, Juice, where like he does sort of elevate the form a little bit to tap into something uh, that if he didn't do that, we wouldn't be able to see. Well, and you can see that, like you can see that even in a sports analogy. Like it was the car commercial a couple of years ago that talked about the the high jump, and I don't know what the guy was or whatever, but they always used to when track runners would high jump they would high jump like forward oh yeah and and their their whole thing was like without breaking any of the rules a guy decided to jump backwards Mm -hmm. and he like crushed all these records and it changed what high jump is forever but it's in right within the matrix of the rules like technically everybody had to like check the check the rule book like is it okay to do an alley-oop you know is that breaking the rules the dunk exactly the dunk yeah so there's but, ways to do it. Like you can see true art in in that certainly. Yeah. See, that's steroids for baseball, but it was just against the rules. <laughs> <laughs> but that was explicitly against the rules. Well, I was thinking about your your cochlear implant thing with the people hearing for the first time. Yeah. What a moving experience! Like that to me, <clears throat> that's a great image of of heaven. Like having a sense turned on that we didn't even know was innate in us because there yeah. was something clouding it or something defective in it which is this darkness of the intellect and the weakness of the will through sin, we can't, we don't tap into the law of God, which is we do have direct perception of if we listen to our conscience and to the voice of God speaking in our own heart through the Holy Spirit and everything like that. We, it, we just get this staticky um, radio frequency that we can't quite tune into. But could you imagine like passing through the gates of death, through the cross into the resurrection, the glorified body. And all of a sudden, all that stuff is just tuned in perfectly to the frequency of God in heaven. Mm -hmm. And like for the first time, really hearing his voice and seeing his face, whatever that means, you know, Mm -hmm. all this is just metaphorical language, but you would be moved to utter silence and tears and overwhelming joy because there's something outside of yourself that you didn't even know was there. You know, it wasn't that you, you just turned inward and like debated what the notion of hearing really means. It's that you finally experienced firsthand what it really means yourself by recognizing there are sounds out there that I wasn't picking up that now I'm picking up and that my, my daughter's voice, it's the first time I'm ever hearing it. And there's this person that I loved and, but didn't know in that specific way. And I think, I think it gets back to something we talked about way long ago, that spiritual autism idea of, of mm-hmm. God being, really outside of me you know he speaks into my most interior self but he is so much higher than me and the temptation is always to reduce him down to like whatever interior conversation i'm having myself or whatever um thing i'm working out that's difficult in my own resentments and unforgiveness or whatever thing that's like plaguing my heart and making it hard to live um I, I seldom like just open up and say, God, what do you have to say about this? And then just listen. And I think that like to me, the sum up the point of this whole art conversation is that 
we want art to call us we want art to like reveal to us in our dumbness and our in our muteness and our deafness something that we kind of like have this inc- intuition that there is outside of me this higher plane this higher frequency that i can't really tune into but an artist somehow is gifted with the ability to do it so when yeah. i look at michelangelo's pieta i see the face of god i see the face of christ dead for me in the arms of his mother and it mm-hmm. it makes me want to be a better person it makes me want to love more it makes me want to know more and understand more but a signed toilet is just like to get me to talk to myself more to turn more in on myself and to say there's nothing higher there's just this and let's talk about it mm-hmm. um and that's the whole human move toward curvatu sensei like turn just curved in on itself humanity not looking up but just looking down at its belly button and saying like is aren't we so interesting look at us rather than like a true conversation a true dialogue or trialogue that's about something bigger than you which is what prayer can be if it's not just mumbling hail marys and and thinking about what you're thinking about but like stop talking be silent and actually listen to this higher thing which your heart is tuned into like a tuning fork and can if you let it um access this higher thing which will get you out of yourself and stop thinking about yourself so much and be actually humble and not falsely humble and all that i mean that's gosh i'm preaching to myself it's the hardest thing in the world to do that um because we're so curved in on ourselves already you know and and so it's so easy to make everything about me and my little world rather than what true art and true even like appreciation of nature when you're out in nature you can be the guy who sees the rivers and the mountains and just is called into like a a wonder at God's creation or you can be like these I'm sunburned and these mosquitoes are annoying you know it's just mm-hmm. all about me um and I, I don't know maybe it's a combination of the two and this is just the the way of the world but I want for my part uh good art to make me want to be better I don't yeah. want art to make me cynical and uh, like ironic and uh, there's already enough stuff in the world that makes me want to be cynical you know what i mean mm-hmm. and that's all i have to say about that <laughs> and that's, that's what I happened in that. vietnam no <laughs> <laughs> well, and i i think another sad thing is uh, that phrase deconstructing the form is just kind of sticking with me there's this idea that like Art as such, whether it's music, literature, or um, paintings, or sculptures, whatever, has reached this climax. Like, we have done it, guys. And now that we've been to the apex, we've seen the top, we're going to start breaking it down now. And deconstructing the beauty of the thing that, that we have created, you know? So you have a turn from architecture, you have a turn from, you know, to all of these very abstract um, I know the impressionism thing that that one really is difficult for me to understand, but um, I think in a lot of ways it does an injustice to, yeah, the reality that God is inspiration is present within our lives today, like within our time and our place. That good art, I don't know, maybe we've reached the apex of art. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's another entire conversation, but um the fact that God 
could easily come in and enter into a, an artist's mind, heart, into his world to create some n- entirely new piece of art that conforms to the laws and rules of music, of literature, and of painting that no one has ever seen before. And with, the, with that inspiration, able to, yeah, make something for our culture that makes us better, that allows us to transcend, um, you know, this transcendent injection of divine inspiration that points all of us to this higher reality and to instead work to deconstruct it rather than, yeah, I think improve and build. Um, I don't know. It's such a shame, you know, and I just remember like Father de Gaulle talking about the communist art, <laughs> like this art without inspiration, this art without, like, I, as a matter of fact, in a culture that shuns the existence of God, even the notion of it, very atheistic, just how mundane and kind of dull all of it was. Um, and so, yeah, the reality that artists, that divine inspiration can entirely occur. And there's new things to be made. Like, that doesn't mean that you have to start breaking it down in order to make new stuff. That we haven't reached the climax, possibly. And that beautiful things are still able to be created and they can be new. Because I think at the heart of it, a lot of it is a desire for novelty, to be different, to create something that no one's ever seen before. And to recognize the dynamism of God and to recognize the dynamism of also the human person. And that, yeah, he wants to encounter us in our particular situations here and now and today. And to say otherwise, like, oh, we've, we've run out of good ideas. And so we have to start breaking down the good ideas, deconstruct the form. Uh, yeah, I think it does an injustice to the human person, but then also to, yeah, the dynamism of God interacting in our lives day to day. You and know, ironically, what, it makes the art more boring. We think like, oh, it's, it'll be so exciting if we just break all these rules. But then you go through the modern art wing and everybody's just yeah. on their cell phones because it's boring as hell. <laughs> yeah. You know, they were on their cell phones. Yeah. And like, that's why I can say I'm stoked to hear like you preach because I mean, we have 2000 years of words spoken about the love of God. But I actually believe that you are a particular situation. You are a particular person in this time and in this place that God can interact with you in a way that will inspire you to communicate this message of God's love in an entirely new way. That's, that's a really cool thing. Like just, I guess the newness of, of God in all times and in all places and to be open to receiving that and to be open to him breaking through. Yeah. And hearing something new as that deaf person. Um, yeah. That is very hard, though. Even this weekend, I was just like, what am I going to preach on? You get done with the Easter Triduum and all this stuff, and you're like, another Sunday homily? You have to come up with something new? And actually, those weekends, I always get the most compliments. And this was one of those weekends where I I just thought, how am I supposed to say something? Sorry to interrupt, but I got a bolt here. I got a meeting at uh, 1015. Sounds like you're onto something big here, Bisque. Sounds like you're onto something big. No, it's a kind of a topic change anyway we can end with what mike said three dogs north are juice seabisc and michael metz conversations have been edited to sound smarter
Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And here, down.